Welcome to Manager Tools. How to scan a resume, part one. Here we go. This cast answers these questions. How do I scan a resume? What do I look for on a resume? How do I decide whom to phone interview? Do you want answers to these questions and more? Keep listening. The most important thing a manager does for his or her company is effective hiring. Effective hiring makes managing that much easier. And most managers don't know how to hire. They don't know how to structure an interview. They don't know how to ask questions. And they don't know how to listen and take notes and make a determination. At our effective interviewer conference, we'll teach you how to structure your day, how to structure each interview, how to structure questions, how to ask the questions, how to listen to answers, how to take notes, and how to follow up to make sure you're making the right call. All in manager tool style, which is to say practice, 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 practice. Please come see us at the website and look up the Effective Interviewer Conference. Come to a city in the United States and Europe soon. We've all heard that managers and recruiters spend two minutes or 10 seconds, or I think I've heard five seconds on resumes, deciding which ones are good and which ones aren't. Now, I've never been a recruiter. You have though, so how do you and other recruiters do that? Get really good at our jobs. You know, it really, it really annoys me when people say, oh, people only spend five seconds on your resume. It's probably not five seconds. I think it's near around 15 or 20. But do you go to a doctor's appointment and not expect that they can diagnose you from the millions of things that could be wrong with you in 10 minutes? Of course you do. You go in and you think, well, by the time I come out in 10 minutes, I'm going to know what's wrong with me and what I need to do next. Recruiters read resumes really fast because they do it a lot and they're good at it. So if I want to get better at scanning resumes, I have a bunch of resumes coming across my desk. Are there things that I can do or do I have to be a superhuman recruiter having looked at 10,000 resumes? No, you don't. We're going to help you skip that part. So there's uh, 10 things to look for. We're not all going to get to all of them in this cast anywhere near. And we're going to talk about each thing as we go through and what to look for. So we're going to talk about titles, dates, companies, career progression, responsibilities, accomplishments, education, accuracy, density, and then how to decide whom to screen further. Okay. Now titles, when you're, when you're talking about titles, are you talking about job titles? Is that what you mean? Yeah. Okay. So what do you look for in job titles uh, other than the title of their job? Just, just saying. <laughs> As you scan down the resume and you look at the job titles, you try and think about the path that the candidate has taken. Not necessarily whether it's a successful path or not, but whether it's the right kind of jobs to make them potentially the right kind of candidate for your job. So similar job titles to the ones you had, similar job titles to the ones you're good staff have. Don't compare them to bad staff. That's pointless. And roles that you think would prepare them for the role you're recruiting for. Not individual titles, whether that title is a good title or not, but what does this person's progression through their career as reflected in their job titles, how does that portend for a successful career in the job you're interviewing for? Exactly. And of course, you have to say, what appears on the resume or and what you can glean from what's on the resume because job titles are different in different companies and sometimes you just can't tell just from the title whether it's a title 
that means something else that was the same as the job that you're looking at or looking for or whether it's you know something completely strange so you know um i happen to know in subway all the people that make sandwiches are called sandwich artists and if you see something like that you might think well i don't know whether that's the same as you know this thing that i was looking for but sometimes you can make a good judgment and sometimes you can't but if you have to make a judgment, that's fine. You're just doing it. You can do it on the, you have to work from the basis of the available information and you're never going to have all the information you want. Yeah, it's interesting. Jo the selection of job titles is an important one. I learned this pretty early in my career. I was a, um, I was going from one job to a management job to a senior manager job. And the title of my management job was such that the hiring director who was hiring me for this this new job wasn't quite sure, actually thought, and the only reason he interviewed me because, by the way, guys, and <laughs> networks, we've talked about networks many times, I had a good network and a friend of mine had recommended that Larry, this guy, talk to me. And very early in this discussion, he brought up my job title. So that, you know, that just doesn't seem like you know, that doesn't suggest that that's what you have the experience we're looking for. And and he started start describing what my job title meant. I said, oh, no, 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 that's not, <laughs> that's, that's not what it means. This is what it means. This is what I do day to day. These are my job responsibilities, et cetera. It's like, oh, well, okay, then that, that's exactly what we need. So it's interesting. Different companies uh, have job titles that can mean very different things. So luck, again, lucky for my network. Otherwise, if it had been you, because you would have given my resume like 10 seconds or 15 seconds, and you would have eliminated me because of my job title. So I was lucky. Network, network, network. Build your network, folks. Helps. Yeah, I wouldn't make a decision until we've gone through all of this. So just that one thing, like, you know, if you had a good progression, you had the one title that didn't make sense to me, I just store that. And then when I start to go through the responsibilities, and if you have the right responsibilities, I just go, okay, weird company, strange job title. So even though we're going to talk about these in isolation, it's an additive process. So the first thing you look at as titles, because if they haven't had the right career path, then you can say no immediately. So you screen out all of those people and then you go to the next thing. And if somebody doesn't pass that thing, then you move them into the no pile and so on. Yeah, it's it's interesting. And, you know, another an, another example that comes to mind, not a, a personal example, but one I thought of, you know, in terms of titles, you know, there there are plenty of companies where the manager title means someone without a budget, right? Mm -hmm. And the standard is someone with a budget in in this is this distresses mark and me quite a bit the 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 fact that budget responsibilities are being increasingly removed from lower levels of management matter of fact i i know somebody recently this is probably a couple of years ago told me that they were removing all budget responsibility from anyone below the title of vice president this company had vice presidents and then directors reported to the vice president and senior managers reported to the director and managers reported to senior managers. So you had four levels of management before you got to a point of a VP and the VP had, I don't know, hundred million dollars budget, something like that. So the first time wait, wait, in this company, he, he never had any practice doing anything with budgets. And the first thing they do is give him a hundred million. She, in this particular case, she did because she had been in the company quite a long time and had learned how to manage budgets down to the manager level. But they had, they had just re recently made this change. So 10, 15 years from now, 
You're absolutely right. Somebody's going to get promoted into a vice president role and have a $100 million budget and never have managed a budget before. Just crazy. I mean, I actively wished uh, to push budget down, right? As far as mm-hmm. I could push it, I would push it. Um, anyways, I, I digress. So again, there, there's an example, right? The title manager implies budget responsibility for most people. But in some cases, companies, they don't have budget. Exactly. And managers are a strange word because it can mean managing people as in the manager of a team, or it can be managing things. So a project manager can be the manager of a project, but not the people working on it. You know, as in not having responsibility for their career and, you know, whether or not they're doing the right work and telling them when they're not doing well, all that that stuff, you end up with a, a matrix that the project manager just does the stuff on the project and then you have another manager somewhere else. Or, you know, sometimes a sales manager is not actually the manager of the salespeople. They just manage the sales process. So manager is a strange word because it can be used in multiple ways and often is. There's also that problem that that goes with tiles, which is inflation, right? I can't, I can't, I can't give you give you a raise or more responsibilities. I'll just change your title. Right? Yeah. I'm not falling for that one. No, I mean, I mean, if the lady at the top of the of a billion dollar revenue firm is called the CEO, then if I'm the founder of my three person startup and I'm at the top, I guess I'm a CEO too, right? You are our CA- CEO, aren't you? No, I'm no, I'm managing partner. There's, there's <laughs> big difference. Like, and some people, oh, you're a CEO. I'm not a CEO. Holy moly, we only have ten people in the company. Come on. <laughs> yeah, and and often people who have started up companies or who have small businesses who want to turn that experience into something that's attractive to a much bigger company, they do things like put CEO on their job title, and yet. It's backwards. It, it doesn't help you because then I look at CEO and then I realize you're running a small business and there's a bunch of experience and a bunch of responsibilities you have as running a small business that, that are helpful. But the fact that it says CEO is, I'm like, okay, like you're just trying to manipulate me and I don't like that. That's right. Well, to be clear, I think people confuse the idea of being close to the top with being far from the bottom, right? Mm-hmm. And if you think if you think CEO just means close to the top, then a three person organization, then you're 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 the CEO, right? But that that's really not the key. One of one aspect of being a CEO is not only are you close to the top or at the top, you're far from the bottom, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's that far from the bot- bottom that makes being a CEO so darn difficult. If there are only two layers in a firm, no one ought to be called senior vice president, and there is no C-suite, let's be clear. Exactly, there's not enough people. So this ty- this stuff around titles and jobs and uh, careers and, and the way things are named by different people in different companies is indicative of what's going to happen in all of the other categories that we talked about right at the beginning. That it's not a logic problem. It's not an it's not an or gate for all of them. You can't say, okay, if a person does not have this title anywhere on their resume, I'm not going to hire them. It can't be like that because that title may not specifically appear, or they may have 
got the same experience as that title in two different jobs. So you can't be hard and fast. You can't say it's definitely this or nothing. Sometimes for qualifications you can, but in general, for, especially at job titles, you've got to be more relaxed than that. You've got It's got to be a bit of art, I guess, but an ability to kind of interpret what you're seeing and compare it to something without the two being have to having to be exactly the same. Are you saying that this is some kind of contradiction to the manager tools rule that the purpose of all pre-employment screening is to say no? Of course I'm not contradicting the rule. We never contradict ourselves, right? The purpose of pre-employment screening is always to say no. You're far better off ending up with nothing out of a resume pile than having 15 of them ready to phone screen. That's too many, and it probably means that your hiring criteria or your reviewing criteria has been too relaxed. And if you're thinking, oh, well, they're good enough, then you're probably giving a little too much leeway. Yeah, I think in that case, your screening stands are just insufficient. And for an inexperienced hiring manager, unfortunately, that whole thing is compounded by the fact that it gets harder to say no to candidates as the process progresses. Yeah, that when you've met someone or when you've talked to them on the phone, it's much harder to say no. It's easy to say no to a resume because it isn't really a real person. Once it's a real person, it gets more difficult. There you go. But the reason there's no black and white standard, there's no something that you can say absolutely yes or no, is because of this lack of similarity between the industries and the job titles and what things mean with regard to responsibilities and the way thing, way jobs are described or the way jobs are related to each other. You know, sometimes you see senior developer one and senior developer two as two different jobs on a resume. And Without more information, you can't decide between what what does a one mean and a two mean. You have no idea unless you've actually worked at that company. So there's so much variability in what you'll be given on the resume. You have to be willing to interpret it a little bit so you can actually end up with some candidates to interview. You know, but all that said, I mean, I don't have perfect knowledge of all the job titles and responsibilities, particularly if I'm hiring somebody, say, from outside of my industry, for, for example. So it would be perfectly reasonable for me to look at a series of job titles on a resume, perhaps, say, from, like I said, a different industry, and not really be sure of the responsibilities and to use my lack of knowledge about that industry and the lack of a front of data to decide to put that candidate's resume in the no pile. I have too many resumes to say a yes to a resume that I don't understand. Exactly. I agree. So what we've been trying to say is we can't create a list for you of black or white or either ors. We're just trying to give you information that helps you apply your judgment to the resume you're looking at. So for job titles, the kind of things I would be thinking are, what do I think of these titles? How do I feel about the jobs that the person has had? Are these the titles I would expect to see from someone who is in this job? And as I said at the beginning, does this career path compare favorably with the members of staff that I have who are high performers? 
And if you're thinking, I don't have enough judgment, I don't have enough experience, I've only been in a manager role myself for two years, I don't even know actually what the resumes of the people who work for me were, in which case you're doing it wrong, you should have their resumes. But if you don't know, you can, you absolutely do know enough. You absorb it from working in the company. You you absorb it by knowing what your friends are doing and their job titles. You watch the people get promoted so you know something of their background. And there is no one right way. You're not comparing yourself with the right way because there isn't a right way because of the variability of the resumes. Right. Too many of us managers always seem to be in competition with this idea of the right way to do something, right? Which probably there's a right way to do something, but and everybody else knows about it, but I don't. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and this it's lack so of not true. it's it's crazy, right? This and this lack of of knowing the right way, which, like you said, never really exists, right? Causes us not to trust ourselves. We spend far too much time second guessing ourselves and taking too long and being uncertain and taking half hearted steps. Trust yourself and move on. Yeah, and you will get better later, but that doesn't mean you can't start now, and doesn't mean that. You don't have enough judgment now to do the things that you need to do. Yeah. And you'll look back and think, oh, my, how did I ever keep my, my any job back then? As little <laughs> as I knew then, right? And as yeah. often as I had to fake it, while it felt like everyone else knew what was going on, I faked it and somehow I still survived. And every step in your career, you look back and go, oh, my God, how did I not get fired? Look at all the stuff I didn't know. And then you get promoted and like two years later, you're like, oh my God, how did I not get fired? I was was so stupid, right? Yeah. I compare myself all the time, but nobody actually really expects you to have the experience that you'll have in 10 years or 15 years because you can't have it. You can't have experience without going through the process of getting experience, but that doesn't mean you can't be expected to exercise your judgment and make the decisions that you're supposed to be making. And sometimes the outcome will be good and sometimes it'll be bad and hopefully it's mostly on the good side. But you can't not ever make a decision because you're afraid of making the wrong decision. People do that all the time. Uh, Companies bet on products that we know don't succeed in the marketplace. It happens all the time and so it's okay to make a decision and then find out later, "Mm, that wasn't a great decision. Next time I'll do it differently. Yeah. I think it was fear of failure, right? And some people use fear of failure as an excuse as a manager to do nothing or to do something, but to do it timidly um, without speed or purpose. And it's never an excuse. You have to make judgments regardless of your inner sense of unpreparedness. And a lot of folks, a lot of, a lot of managers, both experience and not experience have this inner sense of unpreparedness. I don't know what I'm doing, but you're in the job, you're in the job for a reason. And you probably know more than you think, you know, and you kind of go through this, this guidance and you make judgments and you see what happens. And guess what? You'll make mistakes and then you'll learn. Yeah. And with resume screening, if you really don't know what something means and you're kind of sitting around and you're looking at it and you're thinking, I don't know if it's good. I, I don't know what this means. I, maybe it means this and maybe it means not, It means something else. But if you're managing people doing that job, you already know what kind the right kinds of jobs somebody ha- would have on their resume. 
And if somebody doesn't have them and you're trying to weigh up whether someone might be perfect, you know, might have substitutes which are perfectly matched, and you're spending time on that resume trying to make it fit when you don't have enough information, just put it to one side. Unless you've only got five applicants for your job, in which case you might have to try harder, but most people have 40 or 50, in which case put it to one side and don't worry about it. Yeah, and we've only so far talked about the first screening step, right? Yeah, this is going to take a while. And so, yeah, it's what I was trying to explain earlier. So you look at the titles and see whether someone passes that test. Have they had the career experience? Do they have the right job titles and the progression that you're looking for? If they pass it, then you go on to the next screening criteria, which we're going to talk about later. If they don't pass it, you put them in the no pile. So you're just gradually whittling it down. Yeah, again, we're not trying to find out what might make the candidate good for us, right? We're trying to rule them out. Don't forget that. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so titles. We looked at titles. Now, dates. What are we looking for at dates? So things like how long did the candidate hold the positions? If they've got like short, a short period in a job you really want them to be really experienced at, but a long period in a role that's like the role below that, the preparatory role for, for the one you really want them to have, then that might not be a good thing. That might be a reason to say no, especially if that lower role is considered not very difficult because if everyone can do the not very difficult role, why did this person stay six years, say, in that role before moving up? Yeah, like going back to our earlier discussion of trusting yourself, you know, a young screening manager, and I say young, I mean, not young in age, young in experience, okay? If you're an experienced screening manager, you might easily say here, well, maybe that role at that company is actually equivalent to this differently named job based on industry conventions. I don't know. <laughs> Folks, don't do that to yourself. Trust yourself. You're going to be wrong more than you want to be, but as we said before, Good judgment comes from experience, and experience comes from bad judgment. Unfortunately. And you're also looking for more experience in the more valuable roles when possible. So the closer the role is to the current day, the longer someone you want someone to have been in it or the more experience you want someone to have got. So this is where you, as a hiring manager, suffer from what you as resume writers do about dates. So some people only write the years that they were in a role instead of putting the month and the year. So if somebody writes that they were in a role from 2002 to 2003, you can't tell if they were in the role for two weeks, like December 2002 to January 2003, or if they started January 2002 and left December 2003, in which case they've got two years experience. And in my experience, if the months aren't on there, somebody is trying to hide something. It's, it's almost never that they had the two months experience. It's usually that they had a very short stint or they're trying to make their resume look more balanced. And if they write something that implies that they were in a role for two years when they were actually only in a role for two weeks, then 
that's unethical. And that's a reason to say no right there. Yeah. So we're screening for the absence of a year or more in a role, right? Repeated short stints in roles are a bad sign in several ways. Yeah, all of them. Short stints is nearly always bad. And the other thing you're looking for is recency of experience. So it's it's okay if somebody had all the right titles, but if they had them 10 years ago and they've been doing something else since, they don't have the experience doing that job in this environment, like these in these years, in this competitive landscape. And so, again, that's a strike against the candidate. And when you're screening resumes, it's usually one strike, you're out. Yeah. And do, have you ever seen resumes without dates at all? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Some people think they should leave dates off because they have too much experience. And so they'll leave the dates off and you can't tell how long they were in any of their roles. And they hope that you imply or that you deduct that they were, that's a 10 year span or a 15 year span, however much you want it to be for this role. But again, if you're leaving off dates because you want me to deduce something rather than actually tell me the truth, then you're withholding information and you're lacking clarity and truthfulness. And again, that's an out for candidates. Yeah, it just demonstrates a willingness to withhold reasonable amounts of information from the resume. And that suggests something, something a little awry. Yeah, I think like in, in general, there there are conventions with resumes, right? There's there's convention of you know some stuff at the top, and then there's there's titles with how long you're in them. You know, generally not 2002 to 2003, but October 2003 to February 2004, something like that with responsibilities and the whole thing. I mean, they're conventions, right? So if anybody, I don't care if it's with resumes or something else, if there's a set of conventions and somebody breaks those conventions without explaining why they're doing that, that's sufficient enough reason for me to to either, in this case, a resume, I just reject it because I, I don't have the time to figure it, figure it out. Or in other situations to ask some clarifying question as to, to what's going on. So in this in this particular case, if they're not following the conventions fairly well, I'd suggest there's probably something enough there to say no, at least at this stage in the in the process. And it may be that they intended to mislead you, and it may be they were completely innocent and didn't know the convention. But still, that tells you something about the candidate that they didn't know the convention. And so that will probably be a no too. My experience has said that the, the most of the time, most of the time people have the dates in there, right? And in, mm-hmm. in general, when people drop off dates, there it's in the area of education. Yes, because they think you can do math. So if you see the year of graduation, most people who do a straight from high school to college are. 21, 22, 23-ish when they graduate. And if you can see what year that is, you can calculate their age. And people are wary of that because they have this weird logic. And it goes like this. Since a date associated with my education might allow you to determine my age, and for you to discriminate me because of my age is unlawful, it's quite appropriate for me not to share that information which 
It's not. And they say things like, I don't have to include that I was fired from a job, which is true, they don't have to. And therefore, I will not to keep you from using that against me. But that's a bad argument because you can choose not to hire someone because they're fu- they've been fired. That's completely reasonable and legal. But if you leave off the graduation year, you're just presupposing that I have an unlawful intent to discriminate. Again, it tells you something about the candidate and it's probably not a good thing. Yeah. If someone leaves out enough dates that you feel are reasonable that you know, we recommend you say no. Not because of their age, which you may well not be able to tell, but because they have deliberately obscured useful information. And not having enough positives in a resume is as much a reason to say no as having plenty of negatives. Exactly. And then the last thing is the gaps in the employment history. So there's a general rule that even if a candidate is unemployed, for good or bad reasons, that period of time must be accounted for. So perhaps someone was taking care of a a sick spouse or parent, perhaps someone took a two-year sabbatical and didn't have to look for work and didn't do so. Even if the reason they took a sabbatical was being fired, it's still standard for candidates to cover that time period as if whatever they were doing was a job. In other words, it should have the title, the admin title, in the same way that jobs would. So something like January 99 to March 01, caregiver. It, it doesn't have to be, you don't have to have a long explanation. You don't have to, you know, explain exactly what you were doing and with whom and how old your children are now and all that stuff. But a single line so that we know you were doing something is what you have to put on your resume. Yeah, it would be completely appropriate to do that. Yeah. And meanly, I call this the prison rule in that if you haven't shown me what you were doing during that time, I assume you were in prison. Okay. Maybe not, but yeah, but you know. Probably stops you from making a bad hiring decision. Exactly. If that's, if that's where you go, okay. <laughs> yeah. And there is a fine line, especially around dates, that between a resume that's legitimately, persuasively truthful and one that's inappropriately, truthfully persuasive. If you go for persuasively truthful, you start with the truth and you try and make it persuasive. If you start with truthfully persuasive, you start with persuasiveness and you try and fit the truth in there kind of selectively and unclearly because you don't want to disturb the persuasiveness that you've already set up. We've seen too many resumes where the author can legitimately say there's nothing untrue in there and we were left with the conclusion that the candidate could not be trusted. And unfortunately, And this is why we look at dates. Dates are often where that lie is foisted upon you. So Mm -hmm. paying attention to dates and kind of considering it in the way we've described is is a useful thing to do. Yeah. If if there's something off about dates on a resume, there's almost certainly something off about something else on there. Yeah. It's interesting. Every once in a while, I've been, there's probably eh, maybe two or three times in my career where somebody with these, this date problem for a number of reasons ended up, I ended up interviewing the person. And when you start digging into the dates, holy moly, it gets to, it's, it becomes a very entry, not a very good use of time, frankly, because it, their candidacy falls apart very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. So folks, do yourself a favor. Just avoid that. 
Don't look at things in the, in the dates that don't make sense and go, ah, otherwise they're good. I'll bring them in for the interview and, and we'll figure out what the, the date problem. I'm sure it's nothing. No, it's, generally it is something. You have enough resumes that you don't need to spend time doing phone interviews and bring, and certainly bring people in in person who have those kind of problems relative to the dates. It implies something that's won't be useful for you later. Exactly. Cool. Okay. Well, we've gone pretty long. So let's, um, Let's finish this up next week. Thanks, Wendy. Bye, everyone. Thanks, everyone. That's it. We'll see you next week. So long. If you enjoyed this podcast and you want the how-tos of management wherever you are, check out the free Manager Tools mobile app. It's available on both iOS and Android devices. Go to the Apple Store or the Google Play Store and download the Manager Tools app. Just search for Manager Tools in the respective store or go to the Manager Tools website www.manager-tools.com and you'll find the links on the bottom of the homepage. Once you've installed the Manager Tools app, you'll have access to all the Manager Tools and Career Tools shows anytime, anywhere you want. With easy searching of podcasts by category, using the map of the universe, or using built-in search functions, it couldn't be easier. Additionally, if you're Manager Tools personal licensee, you'll have easy access to all the show notes right from the app whenever you want. Go to the App Store and download the Managed Tools mobile app. You'll be happy you did.